Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Educating Investors Podcast. My name is Scott Peterson, Financial Advisor of Harmony Wealth Management. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode, Long and Short of the Current Market. I believe that educated investors equal successful investors. The goal of this podcast is to help to educate as many individuals as possible on markets, the economy, and financial planning topics. In this episode, I'm going to discuss short-term headwinds and intermediate-term tailwinds for the current market. There's been a lot of talk in markets currently about bubbles in the market. According to Investopedia, a bubble is a market cycle that is characterized by the rapid escalation of market value, particularly in the price of assets. Typically, what creates a bubble is a surge in asset prices driven by exuberant market behavior. During a bubble, assets typically trade at a price or within a price range that greatly exceeds the asset's intrinsic value. In other words, the price does not align with the fundamentals of the assets. According to research by Deutsche Bank, they looked at some different assets to see which ones were closest to being in bubbles by doing a survey on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being an extreme bubble. Currently, the asset that looks closest to being a bubble based on their survey was Bitcoin with a score of 8.7. At the minimum, there are valuations and sentiment indicators that show that the market is potentially overvalued and sentiment is very exuberant currently. First, let's start with looking at valuations of the markets. Research from Crescent Capital back in November of 2020 showed that most of the different valuation metrics that they looked at were at or near 100 percentile. Those metrics included median price to sales, median price to book, U.S. total market cap to GDP, which were all at 100%. Others, such as the sickly adjusted PE or CAPE, were in the 97th historical percentile. According to research from J.P. Morgan and their guides to the market, currently the forward PE, the sickly adjusted PE, which is CAPE, price to book, and price to cash flow were all above their 25-year average. Overvalued and undervalued markets can stay that way sometimes longer than what we think. But investors should be aware of that at some point that valuations regress to their means, normally caused by a change in sentiment or psychology of the investor. So what do sentiment indicators say about the current feeling of investors? We can tell this by taking a look at a number of different sentiment indicators. The AAII Sentiment Survey is a weekly survey of its members which asks if they are bullish, bearish, or neutral on the stock market over the next six months. The last reading showed a current bullish reading of 45.2% and a current bearish reading of 31.7%. The current bullish reading is above the historical average of 38%, while the bearish reading is in line with the historical average of 30.5%. Individual sentiment indicators tend to be contrarian indicators for the market, so the higher than average bullish reading for this indicator would be considered bearish. Now let's take a look at two sentiment indicators from Ned Davis. The first one being the Ned Davis Crowd Sentiment Poll, which has a current reading of 71.1 as of January 12th. Any reading above 66 is in the extreme optimism zone, which is bearish. The average annualized gain of the S&P 500 with the Crowd Sentiment Poll is above 66, is a negative 2.25%, with this a reading occurring 26.0% of the time, according to Ned Davis research. This is a bearish indicator. The second Ned Davis sentiment indicator is called the Daily Trading Sentiment Composite, and that currently has a reading of 74.44 as of January 12th. When the composite index is above 62.5, the average annualized gain is a negative 7.37%, with this reading occurring 28.58% of the time, according to Ned Davis Research. Again, this is a bearish indicator short term. Next up is the City Panic Euphoria Index, which is a sentiment indicator from Citibank. 
Currently, that reading is in the euphoria territory, which is also a contrarian indicator, which is bearish. According to Sentiment Trader, they have created a proxy model using publicly available inputs, and it shows a fairly clear contrarian nature. When it is high, the S&P returns over the next year tend to be low, and when the model is low, the S&P returns are high. They came to find when the proxy was above 1, occurring about 14% of the time since 1988, the S&P 500 returned an annualized negative 3.7%, compared to an impressive 21.4% when it was below 0. Currently, the reading is above 1. Another sign of a speculative market is the trading of penny stocks. In December, more than 1 trillion shares of penny stock were traded. This is another sign of speculation in the stock market as penny stocks are the definition of a speculative investment. So far in early 2021, stocks with market prices of less than $2 have been the best performers. Stocks with lower market prices tend to be more volatile and also more speculative. Let's now take a look at some real money sentiment indicators. Small trader call buying as a percentage of New York Stock Exchange volume has reached an all-time high. Small traders and individual investors historically tend to be contrarian indicators for the market. The put-call ratio, which is a further derivative of this statistic, is at a historically low level, which is also contrarian and therefore bearish. And finally, margin debt is at a record high, which is speculative in its nature. Historically high margin debt rates come before concentrated periods of volatility in the stock market. We saw this both in 2000 after the dot-com bubble burst and in 2008 after the start of the Great Recession. When markets are rising and investors are taking on additional leverage to increase buying power, margin debt supports the advance. However, the magnitude of this recent surge in margin debt also confirms the current level of investor exuberance. The risk of high level of margin debt is when this is undone, which leads to additional forced selling of assets to cover the margin. Sir John Templeton famously said, bull markets are born on pessimism, grow on skepticism, mature on optimism, and die on euphoria. While Warren Buffett famously said, investors should be greedy when others are fearful, and fearful when others are greedy. These valuation and sentiment indicators do indicate some level of frothiness and excessive optimism in the markets, at least over the short term. So investors should be aware of the potential risk of pullbacks in the market. These corrections or pullbacks are normal parts of market cycles. According to research from J.P. Morgan over the last 41 years, indexes like the S&P 500, the Russell 2000, and the IFA index, which is Europe, Asia, Far East, which is a developed international stock index, all have averaged 10% plus average annual inter-year declines over the last 41 years, and in the majority of those years, the market still ended up positive. Corrections and pullbacks are impossible to time. John Maynard Keynes stated that the market could stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. This is a testament that corrections and pullbacks are impossible to time. The important idea for investors is to make sure over time as portfolio allocations rise above their targets on the asset class, sector, and individual security level to rebalance and trim from those areas. It feels better for the investors to reallocate the portfolio than letting the market do it for you. In order to be a successful investor, you must invest through all these market cycles to get the long-term consistent return that is associated with your personal asset allocation. So I've discussed some of the short-term headwinds for the market, specifically the higher levels of valuation and exuberant sentiment. However, there are some powerful tailwinds that should continue to help the equity markets over the intermediate term, even with the possibility of a pullback and correction. One of the most important tailwinds comes from a statement from Martin Swig. 
Martin Zweig was a well-known trader and investment advisor who was well-known for predicting the Black Monday crash in 1987 when he appeared on the TV program Wall Street Week. Marty Schweig was given credit for coining the phrase, don't fight the Fed. Over the past dozen years, this one simple piece of market advice has worked better than anything else. The statement could probably be expanded to now say, don't fight the Fed, the ECB, the BOJ, and the BOE. All these central banks are continuing with very easy monetary policy with very low and in some cases negative policy rates, but more importantly, providing additional liquidity to the economy with a lot of going into financial assets. I think currently this is the most powerful tailwind for the markets. The continued liquidity coming into the market from central banks are supportive of risk assets such as equities. So when the money supply is going up and interest rates are low, those with plenty of cash start buying financial assets such as stock, bonds, real estate, private equity, gold, fine wine, and fine art. These assets have inherent scarcity, and so as money supply goes up while interest rates stay low, the prices of financial assets tend to do very well. The Federal Reserve and other central banks have not done a good job in generating inflation, but have been one of the prime sources of financial asset inflation due to the liquidity they have provided. This is in addition to the fiscal stimulus being provided by governments around the world. Another tailwind for the markets currently are very low interest rates. Central banks around the world have a very lower, in some cases, negative policy rate. On top of the lower policy rates, many central banks around the world are employing asset purchases, which are also helping to keep longer-term rates lower as well. These lower interest rates make risk assets, including stock, more attractive even at higher valuations. The bond market based on these lower interest rates make them expensive, just as the equity market is expensive. Even though stock market valuations are higher than average, if you look at the earnings yield, the inverse of the P.E. ratio for particular stock indexes, stocks are cheaper than fixed income, especially in international and emerging markets based on these earnings yields. Earnings growth can provide a mixed bag in terms of good and bad for the markets. If earnings grow faster than the returns of the underlying indexes, valuations can start to move lower. Currently, we are looking at very positive earning growth for 2021 when we look at research compiled by your Denny Research. According to research from your Denny Research on earnings growth estimates for 2021, estimates for S&P 500 earnings growth is 21.3%. For the S&P 400, it's 50.3%. For the S&P 600, it's 89.6%. For the Europe, Asia, Far East Developed International Market Index, it's 37.2%. And for emerging markets, they expect earning growth to be 35.3%. So if these earning growth estimates come in, that would be very positive for potentially lower valuations for the market. This would be positive for the markets because starting valuations for investments have been a good indicator for long-term returns. According to research from Crestmont Research, it shows that 20-year rolling returns for the markets are higher when starting at a lower valuation level based on P.E. ratios. The negative side of earning growth estimates is if they don't come in as expected. There is data from your Denny Research showing that most years analysts start earnings per share estimates for the S&P 500 at the high end and they end up going down throughout the year, especially when valuations are high. Analysts make the human mistake of projecting current reality into the future. Finally, the S&P 500 tends to have stronger annualized gain when year-over-year change in earnings growth during a quarter is between a negative 10 and negative 25%. This seems counterintuitive, but the market is a forward-looking indicator and is pricing in better earnings coming in the next year. For Q4 2020, the estimated earnings decline for the S&P 500 is a negative 6.8% currently, according to the fact set. 
However, for Q1 2021, analysts are projecting earnings growth of 16.8%, and for Q2 of 2021, earnings growth of 46.3%, which has historically meant lower annualized gains for the S&P 500. What does this all mean? It means that investors should look at their current asset allocation based on their personal financial plan to make sure they are allocated correctly based on their long-term financial goals. Based on short-term sentiment and valuation indicators, this would be a good time to trim overweights and profits in the portfolio and rebalance. However, over the intermediate term, based on the incredible amount of liquidity and support being provided by central banks and governments around the world flowing into financial markets, this should provide long-term support for risk assets and should provide opportunities to add to risk assets such as equities on any pullback or correction at slightly better valuations. Some of the major risks to this outlook would be continued issues with the pandemic and distribution of vaccines, central banks and governments pulling fiscal and monetary support sooner than what the markets are expecting, because just as providing liquidity and support is a positive for financial assets and markets, pulling it away too soon would be a negative for markets and financial assets. And finally, earnings growth not coming in as expected with markets trading at higher valuations would be a negative for the market. This completes this episode of the Educating Investors Podcast. I know that time is an important asset for everybody, so I appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you enjoyed the content of this podcast, feel free to share this with other friends and family that may be interested. Also, feel free to check out my website at www.harmonywealthmanagement.com to learn more about what I do as well as to find my contact information and links to my LinkedIn page and blog. The Educating Investors Podcast is presented for informational purposes only. The information presented on the Educating Investors podcast should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The Educating Investors podcast is host Scott Peterson and his firm Harmony Wealth Management LLC should not be held liable for any losses resulting from investment decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on the Educating Investors podcast show.